to to discuss the present conditions with respect to globalization, the past conditions, the history of it. So, of course, this uh, uh, there's a little bit of history here. Uh, oh, this is one of my I'm pretty pretty proud of this little item. That, of course, is uh, the Great Wall of China, and that's uh, that's me in December of 2004. And uh, so you. Uh, you know, you rent a, a suit, or they've got like a tourist uh, installation, and uh, so you choose a suit, and, and uh, you pay a certain amount of money, and you get your picture taken at the Great Wall of China. Um, and thinking about that wall, you know, it struck me as a, a metaphor of globalization, and I started the course with the Great Wall of China. And, you know, when you see this huge, um, wall built to protect a society from barbarians, it certainly gets you thinking. It's a very tangible, visible symbol of how humanity has tried to hive itself off into little sections. Um, it did occur to me as I was standing there that uh, uh, the barbarians that this wall was built to keep at bay, to keep out, I suppose I would fulfill that definition of a barbarian as you know fully as anybody that that my own uh, heritage and roots were part of that barbarian identity that the wall was built to protect against and so now uh, we're inside the wall and uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing uh, uh, the uh, the thinking uh, behind the wall or a reflection of the wall. I've got just a few pictures that I can put in a, in a bit of in a bit of context. Uh, hi, Jacob. Oh, are you? Uh, you're on the. Oh, you're in the on the staff there. Here is a delegation uh, in 1793. There's the emperor uh, in China and uh, Lord George uh, McCarthy is uh, seeking an audience, seeking to open diplomatic relations with China and trade relations with China. Yeah. Here he is, uh, Lord George McCarthy. So let's read. I'm reading from uh, something called the British Empire, a BBC publication. Uh, and I'm working up to the Opium War. So when Lord uh, George McCarthy Wright, heading Britain's first diplomatic mission in China, passed through uh, Beijing below in August 1793, he was sure he uh, could soon fulfill his task of negotiating a formal trade agreement with the emperor. Undaunted by the capital's towering guardhouses and by the noise and stench of the inhabitants, encouraged by the unfailingly graciousness, uh, the unfailing graciousness of Chinese official, confidence in his well-proven diplomatic skills, he pressed on northwards to meet the emperor in Jahal, 
his summer residence, happily unaware of the frustrations to come. So here is the imperial city of Beijing. Uh, there are bits and pieces of this uh, still standing around Tiananmen Square. So Tiananmen Square is, as I understand it, part of this imperial city. Uh, this is a, a pass, like a, to go in and, and, and see that. Um, and uh, so this is a, a, an artist's depiction done at the time around 17, I think it was done before he went there, 1793. And it's a, a caricature of uh, the uh, British seeking to open up some kind of commercial relationships. And so they bring scientists, they bring uh, different kind of authorities and experts. Uh, here's a, an idea of the things they're trying to trade to the Chinese. And the Chinese are just uninterested. Uh, it seems that there's nothing in uh, this array of trade items that the British are trying to offer that is of any interest to them. But uh, eventually there is an item that is seized upon. Here's a French cartoon. Uh, an incisive French comment on the Opium War shows a determined British admiral forcing opium down an unresisting uh, Chinese. So um, the tool to break into the Chinese trade turned out to be uh, the opium trade. And uh, there's some very interesting photographs of the opi opium trade. Um, Here's a, here, here's a Chinese depiction of the Opium War. And the caption reads, uh, the caption on this drawing of British warships, which appeared in Canton soon after the British victory in May 1841, did its best to restore shattered Chinese morale by claiming that several hundred devil-like barbarians were killed and the chief decapitated. So this is a kind of Chinese propaganda to, to ease the humiliation of the, the opium war. Here's a depiction of uh, Chinese uh, junk ships around Canton being, being destroyed. Now, uh, these are Chinese depictions of the opium trade. And uh, a very uh, adamant public official by the name of Lin Tzu, Tzu, Lin Tzu. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm doing a bad job, but, but, but push it and say it properly. Uh, let us hear it. Say it three or four times so we can hear the... Uh... All right. Okay, uh, the name is Lin Zhe Xu. Lin Zhe Xu. That's right. Yeah. And you're Heng Zhao. Yeah. 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 Some, 
sometimes known as Frank, but Heng Chao. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's a, a traditional uh, Chinese art. If we can go back to the document camera. Oh, I, I can't see it. Uh, uh, and here's a, a, a woman uh, breaking the opium pipe of presumably her husband. And her husband is over here dejected. And so there was in the late 1830s a kind of war on drugs, which the Chinese themselves were, were attempting to um, enforce. And this public official was very much uh, associated with it. And, uh, and uh, a wife chops up her husband's opium pipe while he sits dejectedly on his couch. This propaganda picture in which the wife's action is saving both fam uh, husband and family from ruin was included in the emperor's many ineffectual anti-opium campaigns. In this same series of pictures, here's a depiction of a, a kind of lower class uh, opium den and an opium den for uh, wealthier individuals. And here is uh, opium being uh, unpacked and uh, mixed with tobacco for consumption. A similar picture. Now, where is this opium coming from? Well, the East India Company. So these, uh, this is the warehouse of opium balls maintained by the East India Company. And parts of uh, India are very good for growing poppies. Uh, so here's a depiction of the, of the uh, opium trade, the root of the opium trade. And so this was a huge uh, boost for the British Empire. The fact that they could uh, finally sell something that they could uh, develop and, and process from their own empire, from India, and sell it in China. Uh, the great uh, pain to the uh, mercantilistic forces trying to trade in China. You could buy things in China, but Chinese didn't want anything in return, so you had to pay gold or silver, hard currency, which was a real uh, anathema in that time, in the, in, the, in the economic theory of that time. It was a, a real um, uh, diminishment of the power of your imperial holdings if you couldn't uh, exchange items within the empire. So. Um, so that is the history of uh, the opening of China to, to trade. And uh, there's a, a picture of the emperor uh, and a picture of a dejected King George back in England. Uh, the caption saying, King George III read with amazement Chen Lung's uh, that Chen Lung considered him a vassal ruler. So the emperor of China said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll establish diplomatic relations, but you'll be under me. You'll be an extension. You'll be a, a sub-ruler a sub under my higher authority. So uh, that surprised King George III, apparently. So uh, 
In any case, uh, let's jump from there to this picture uh, from uh, actually a student in this an earlier version of this class gave me this uh, um, this magazine. Uh, he was from Shanghai, and he felt I was being a little bit too uh, pro-Beijing in my uh, presentation. I wasn't giving a fair treatment to, uh, to Shanghai. But uh, it's a clear indication of uh, an embrace of, of consumerism uh, in, in China. Luxury items. Uh, this would have been uh, this would have been really perceived as a heresy in the Cultural Revolution, in Mao's uh, in the days of the Cultural Revolution. I found an overwhelming um, uh, abhorrence of the Cultural Revolution, a, a sense of. Uh, uh, that this was something that had to be moved beyond that was not a positive thing. That uh, So the, this is a kind of familiar imagery, but it's interesting seeing it in, there it is, Singapore, roar of the Lion City. Oh, there's, a, there's an interesting picture. The fellow who uh, gave me this magazine is uh, his dad is a high-ranking official involved with putting the train in the speed train between uh, Beijing and, and uh, Shanghai. And he said, "We got a French firm, uh, no Japanese firms." Uh, he was very adamant about that. There's a there's a a very uh, interesting image out of uh, golf clubs. We get into uh, party life. So I'm picturing uh, that uh, this type of course, we do it out of Shanghai or Beijing or both. And uh, we, re we reflect on, on this history of China and we reflect on globalization in the world since 1492 uh, from this perspective. And so the, the test question asks you to give your advice on a curriculum and uh, propose uh, different kinds of video conferences that we might set up. Uh, to explore different themes that you think are, are central uh, and uh, important. I think uh, Joey may have seen this, but uh, this is a publication called China Newsweek. And uh, it's, it's like uh, Newsweek in, in North America, maybe Time. This is uh, the tsunami. In any case, uh, I was in the silk market. Apparently, this is the, 
the word for silk market. Is that true? Yeah, and it's no longer. Eh? They were just the silk market was going to be done away with, and uh, so uh, this is a little article about the end of the silk market, and uh, it says, uh, "Well, can you read it, uh, Frank? Can you read this?" Yeah, on thong. Or that Shu uh, Shui Street gonna be? Uh, yeah, they won't. They won't be there. After you heard the news, and, and you cried actually. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Well, I I didn't I didn't cry, but it 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 was a uh, a sad thing. This uh, silk market is a uh, it's an open uh, market, and my sense is it's very old, very kind of traditional. Um, I couldn't help but thinking of, uh, you know, Marco Polo at one point must have been uh, in, such a, in such a sort of setting. And so the, uh, in the effort to kind of modernize uh, Beijing, um, the, the various installations, the various salespeople and their, and their um, stalls were being moved inside. I think into this building, actually, which was just rising next door. Uh, is it? Yeah. I can't see it on my... Uh, yeah, there. The, I guess that's a silk. Uh. So anyway, it, it was... Uh, the concept was... Uh, well, these are people who worked at the, uh, at the silk market. Um, actually, I, I, I found it a comfortable place to hang out. I, I en enjoyed hanging out there. And it was cold. It's a climate much like this, and uh, people were, uh, you know, kicking knees around. Is anybody good at hacky sack? Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's heavy on the bottom, so it, it falls down on the bottom, and. Uh, Anyway, it was it was a strange phenomenon. I uh, I just started to join the the, the game. You must have seen it. it and uh, and suddenly, when I did that, there was like a, all these photographers, you know, with their high tech digital cameras. Uh, uh, it was like paparazzi land or something. Uh, uh, so um, so in any case, this was uh, part of the demise of an old way of life, I suppose, and 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 uh, um, and it, it uh, it's part of a process that uh, I just find this a fascinating place. Uh, and uh, of course, after returning uh, from Beijing, then I've you know suddenly found in this class that uh, there's possibilities to continue the discussion and having a little bit of idea of what's going on there, it, it increases the possibility for uh, better dialogue. Uh, so, um, so that's basically uh, it. And uh, I'd entertain some questions uh, about the test. Uh, but I think that gives you uh, some basis to prepare so that you're not uh, totally surprised.
Our team. It's from two to four, right? Are we writing for the full two hours, or will it take an hour or so? Uh, I've I suspect it'll take two hours. It'll take some of you two hours. Probably you, as I recall. You use your you used a lot of time last time, didn't you? Um, yeah, it'll it'll be a challenging uh, challenging to do it in two hours. So it's uh, just to be clear, it's Tuesday from two to four. So it's after the Easter weekend, Jacob. I was just wondering if you're looking for, like I know when you uh, phrased the question first, you were talking about um, the video conference aspect, and now you're talking more of a curriculum. Like, can we suggest things outside of just um, specifically video conferencing and things to improve the class in general? Like, can you... Well, for example, the, in one of my other classes, it's actually a psych class, but we have an online forum, and it's really easy to set up for any class in the ULF. And um, we part of our participation mark doesn't happen in class. It happens outside of class in the online forum. And you have people that post questions about class or related material. And then each week people post back um, with re their replies. Mm -hmm. I've just found it very effective. Um, some of the better learning happens outside of classroom. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even get touched in class. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be great for this class and the fact that um, we're using all this kind of technology, so we might as well use it as our classmates. Mm. So. so is the forum specific times? or um, It's not specific times. It's open. It's kind of through WebCT, mm. and it's easily set up through that. Um, we could make ours more public um, so that other people can join in, like across the world. Um, it might be a little more difficult to do than just set WebCT's um, discussion-based forum. But um, the way it worked in the class that I'm in now, it was just like you're set into groups and just when you have your week, your group, um, those people individually have posts. So I'll put out a question like Tony was talking about the opium um, wars today. I think this is really interesting. These are some of the sources that I found and this is my take on it. I was just wondering and you post a discussion kind of based for them. And then people feed off that, and you get um, more research-based and more, you know, things that you can't speak of in class because you're not as knowledgeable about, and just things like that. Mm -hmm. I think it improves the learning. Mm -hmm. Great. Any other? Can you uh, make sense of this, uh, Frank? Forbidden City, Great Wall. Uh, I don't know how to say that name in, in English though, but it's it's called a uh, York Garden, and uh, uh, I don't know that English name either. This is where you feel, you know, the full extent of your ignorance. You're asking, uh, what what should I go and see? And then somebody writes down a note like this. These are all very famous places in, in Beijing, and uh, most of the tourists will go and visit with a, a lot of history in it, basically. How about this one? Okay, do you have time tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the friendship that that 
went away because I couldn't uh, make out what was what was being communicated. But uh, what's it say exactly? Do you have time tomorrow? Yeah. You want to hear the English, the Chinese, or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Let's uh, pack up and uh, move on to. Yeah. This should be heard by all. Um, can we bring anything? Like a small piece of paper with three or four ideas, or does it all have to be up here? Yeah, closed book. Go ahead. No, I, I was thinking that too, actually, just because it would be interesting to actually put some sort of. Because one of the things I was thinking of maybe having some sort of, if you were in China or Beijing or something, like a comparative kind of thing of uh, Cuban uh, socialism or communism or whatever you would like to call it, and um, Chinese. And. I guess my question is like, do you want actual contact information of people so you could set that sort of thing up, or just ideas? Uh, just I'll, I haven't written out the question. Um, presumably, you could uh, come up with specific people, specific names. That's an interesting issue that uh, that you raise there. Um, my impression is that uh, you know the communist ideology is not dead in China. It it is so uh, people have a, a major experience of it and and it, it is still uh, alive in people's mind um, and Mao Zedong is uh, you know, seen very favorably by by many um, and uh, it would be is it possible to imagine any government of China being uh, possible without Claiming the image of of Mao Zedong, that uh, you know he, he's such a towering figure and such a unifying figure, and in a way uh, is a figure which stood up against the imperialism uh, that began in such a humiliating way, you know, through the through the drug trade. Uh, so this issue of uh, you know what it, what is the fate of communism in a country which still retains the communist ideology as its as its uh, self-explanation, even if ironically it's becoming the engine and the factory of capitalism. Uh, for instance, I got a, a, a sense that people were uh, nervous about losing health care. You know that that there had been a kind of socialized health care which is being privatized. And people are uneasy with that, and they're not happy with that with that transition. Uh, then there is another perspective where it seems that you know capitalism, communism, these are relatively superficial, superficial overlays on an ancient ancient society uh, that retains its own personality and character, and in spite of uh, you know the, the 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 experience of imperialism, of capitalism, of communism, it doesn't uh, change the reality of this tremendous depth of a of, a, of an ancient civilization, which get, continues to inform and uh, structure the way people relate to each other and, and and think about their their responsibilities, their rights, their their orientation to the rest of 
society. Okie dokie. It's been a slice. <laughs>